today's guest on the podcast is Thomas DeShooter. He's a CEO, financial strategist, international speaker, author, and family guy. He has two, over two decades of experience in the financial investment industry and is the founder and CEO of Bloom Strategies. Bloom Strategies is a financial services company committing to, committed to all people achieving sustainable values-based wealth. And we talk about that on the podcast. You know, money is something that's so hard for people to talk about, to face, to deal with. And I thought it would be really awesome to have Thomas DeShooter on this podcast to kind of broach the subject of money, especially in the new year, when we're looking at all of the bills that have come in from the holidays, at least that's how I feel. Maybe some of you are cash only and you've got it together. (laughs) But I hope this episode is inspiring. Um, I think what was really powerful about it is t- the idea that we need to know our values, not necessarily our value, which we do, but knowing our values as sort of the cornerstone of our relationship with money. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Thomas DeShooter. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Today's guest is Thomas DeShooter. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Meredith. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Welcome. I'm uh, I'm amazingly happy because I just made it home. I got trapped. I live on an island and... Um, and the ferries all shut down yesterday. They were all canceled, and uh, I ended up having to stay overnight. Fortunately, I have some great friends, and uh, and then I got up this morning very early uh, to about 15 centimeters of snow at my friend's house, and I couldn't get out of their driveway, so I had to shovel their driveway at uh, 5:30 this morning oh, to no. make it to the ferry. And then the ferry <laughs> that I was supposed to be on was delayed. 50 minutes from departing and I was like I'm never gonna get home this is this is insane (laughs) well this says a lot about your character that you're like can we just push the podcast out like 15 minutes because I mean I would be like forget it I'm not podcasting today (laughs) this is so way to go (laughs) well I I I am one to stick to my commitments as best as I possibly can so that's awesome so this island you live on is it your own island (laughs) <laughs> no, I wish. Okay. We, the, so, you know, I live up in Canada off the coast of Vancouver and we live on the big island known as Vancouver Island. So it's like I live in a city of 80,000 people and there's uh, there's even a bigger city on the island than, than that. That's about an hour and a half away. So it is a massive island, but it's fun to say I live on an island. Right, right. And I know we were talking about money. So, I mean, if you were like, yeah, it's my island, I was, you know, going to be like, okay, I'm I'm going to really listen. Not that I'm not going to like really listen, <laughs> but, you know, people that have their own islands, that's like a whole nother world, right? <laughs> right. So I should have said, yes, it's my own island. And <laughs> <laughs> then I would have had everybody's attention. No, then the Google haters and tweeters will find you. You can't do that. That's true. You can't do that. Well, so we are going to talk about money. So you are a financial strategist and a speaker and an author, and 
you've been in the financial investment industry. So, so let's talk about money and why everyone's terrible with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, what's the, what, um, the craziest thing is, is that when I, when I reflect on it, cause I've been in it now for just about 20 years for, so for two decades of my life, I've been submerged in the stock market and how money flows and the, the, um, uh, federal reserve and how they operate in the whole banking system. And yet, it's the most important thing we have to deal with as children growing up, and it's not taught in schools. Yes. My kids can, that, like, cannot even count a dollar in change. And that's yeah. But, I mean, yeah. we learned it, right? You and I learned it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah out I of did. necessity. Well, we did. Yeah, because there was necessity. no <laughs> Yeah, because there was no, that's right, no debit and plastic back then, right. really. And but But even just something like, you know, one of the biggest decisions – anybody will ever make is not find the noun it's actually getting a mortgage and mm. that's not even taught in schools like the what what is it that you're taking on what is a mortgage what how does it work how, like the whole system is is this hidden veil for people and and i don't you know if you go down the black the black hole of uh, conspiracy theories, you could argue that, yes, this is done intentionally so that we don't know and we're we're debt slaves forever. But I don't even want to bother with that. It's just like it's just phenomenal to me that it's not taught in schools, yet it's so important to our lives. Right, right. And I think the only reason I actually know what a, a mortgage statement says or what a HUD-1 says at closing in America is because I was a real estate attorney. I mean, and that is so scary. Because when we go to, to close on a loan, my husband's like, you got to look at this. Cause, and it's not that he's not smart enough to do it. It's just, it's it's like another language. Yeah. And, and you're yeah. right. People don't know. We're not taught it. Yeah. And then, and then the weight of money, the energy it has, um, because it carries such uh, esteem, you know, to have money, that if you don't have it and you don't understand it, then it becomes embarrassment. Mm, and then people want to deal with it even less, right? right. It, now, it now becomes a personal like, oh, I, I need to deny this. I can't show people what I really like around this. And, and people come, become very vulnerable around it. And then they don't, want to, they don't want to know and they're terrified to know. And so it just builds up into this energy that people have that it becomes a bad thing as opposed to, something they could own and actually take control of in their lives. Oh, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. I mean, not like putting all of your money and your debts on a spreadsheet and looking at it is like the worst feeling. But once you do it, then you own it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like anything. Once you actually, yeah. uh, uh, you know, what is that saying? You know, go to Jesus or something. Once you come to Jesus. You can go to Jesus or you can come. It's fine. <laughs> once you... Once you have that moment with your money, then yes. you can begin to heal. Like that's how I look right. at it. It's like I can actually begin to heal my relationship and take it on and understand it and just work through it a little bit at a time and get a little bit of empowerment. And I've seen this in my business where, um, you know, where I've worked with people where they begin to get a little bit of empowerment around money. And then it's like, oh, what else can I do? How can I invest my money? Then the, the, the gears start turning and opportunities start to show up in their lives around money because they're they're looking at it in a different light. Right, right. I mean, I talk about in my book that just came out about you can't change anything until you see the truth. 
Mm. You just kind of rotate around it. Like, oh, I don't want to change this. I want to change it. But you have to see whatever it is, whether it's your your career, your finances, your relationship, you have to see the truth. And so how do you get people to see the truth about their <laughs> current or past or future finances? What What is that like? Uh, so one of the one of my sayings that you know I have I have some principles around money and one of them is know your values right so when I work with somebody there's a there's a bit of a step it's like we want to know what is so so there is getting the where am I currently around money Mm -hmm. but really when the real work starts is when we start to line up people's values with their money and so we'll ask questions that really don't have anything to do with money that are more about who they are as a person and then when I start looking at the data, you can start to see habits and things that are going on that don't really line up with what they say is important to them. Like, so for example, somebody might say, hey, I've got kids. What I'd really love to do, you know, I don't really care about retirement right now. What I'd love to do is figure out how to get my kids to Disneyland, you know, for a family vacation in the next year and a half or something. Then you look at their money. And nothing that they're doing is actually going to support that. Right. And so when you can start to show them areas where they could shift uh, expenditures, so something like I could look at somebody's expenditures and go, this is great. Um, I think I can help you. Nowhere on your values did it say, I want to support Starbucks shareholders. <laughs> and you spend I like $200 that, dollars I have a month. Starbucks stock. Keep buying your lattes, everyone. <laughs> That's Keep right. Your See? <laughs> See, and I was so that would be like a, an aha moment for them. It's like right. you never said that it was important to you, but you are kind of doing that, mm-hmm. and you don't even own Starbucks shares. Like, <laughs> imagine if you were supporting them and you did own them as well. At least you would be getting something back <laughs> right. from your investment in their cost. So I'm not saying don't have it. Right. It's just it's kind of just getting people to see. Oh. There's a relationship between how I spend my money, mm-hmm. where I spend my money, and what it is I actually want to have in my life. And so how can I start to you know, move that energy into putting it to the places I really want to see things happen? Or why don't I start putting some money into Starbucks shares if that becomes the <laughs> thing to do, right? right. But, but seriously, it's, it's you know, people are – I've come across people that are very wealthy who own – in their investment portfolios, the very things that they love to use yep. Yep. because they, they love the companies. They know that it's a great product. They own it. They use it. They're happy to give their money to it, and they know they're getting something in return. So what if you just lined up your money in that way? It went to the things that you actually cared about or supported. That's really, that's really interesting. So how, where's the disconnect? Why are we not – spending our money in line with our values? Is it just, is it kind of a lack of awareness that until people sit down and say, these are my values, then you see it or where, you know, where is the disconnect? So that's a great point. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that we get caught up in the world of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And that is a very strong ism that we have. And so in the world of keeping up with the Joneses or the neighbors, however you want to phrase that, we can get lost in taking on what other people say is really great or is really wonderful for them or their experience and think, oh, well, we, we need that too. They're happy. So if we have that, we'll be happy. Right. And it ends up not working that way. 
And so it's a bit of trying to chase something outside of yourself that's not really who you are. And it's the not doing the work of understanding what is really important to me. I, I recently listened to a guy like, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of Ray Dalio. Oh, yes. Principles. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that. like how many people have sat down and written down their principles? Like even if there's just 15 of them, things that are, you know, even three things that I will, that are non-negotiable. Right. You know, like for me, um, my word, you know, in, around integrity for me is a non-negotiable. Like I need to be strong to my word and hold myself accountable to it. That's just how I am. I know when I, in the past, when I haven't done that, things don't go well for me in life. So when I stick to that knitting, things go really well for me. Right, right. I saw um, a Daily Stoic email that came through. I love Ryan Holiday and Daily Stoic. And he he had said to write your 10 commandments, which is kind of the same thing as, as Ray Dalio. But just what what principles do you live by? What are your rules and, and operating off of those? So and yeah, I think most people haven't done that. Because it's it makes too much sense. Why would we do something? <laughs> Why would we do something that makes so much sense? Well, let's not go down that road because everything <laughs> I talk about makes way too much sense. And then I go, how much? How much of this do I actually do? Right, right. It makes everything that works. It's like, oh, stop doing that. That's working too well. I got to figure out a new way to do this. Thing. Right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the concept of prosperity and and being wealthy. Because that is sort of a, a, a buzzword, I think, or, or sort of a, you mentioned earlier that thinking about finances can bring on shame and, and sort of uncertainty and kind of a yucky feeling. So where does the term prosperity and defining that fall into all of this? Well, that's a really, really good question. I've done a fair, I actually started off 2019 uh, messing around with some various uh, challenges one of them being the prosperity challenge. And so where I, where I came to in my life, for me, prosperity or wealth, however you want to phrase it, abundance, is not just about money. It's about so much more. There's, you know, I can have a wealth of knowledge. I can have a wealth of friendships. I can have a wealth of family relationships. I can have a wealth of food. Um, like I, I began to unpack it as, what if I looked at it like it's not just about money, so I don't have to, you know, be always in the world of I don't have enough money or I'm terrified of money. What if I looked at what I have in my life and began to just be happy with the fact that I have great relationships? What, did, what would that look like if I just focused on that? What would it look like if I focused on the fact that I've, I've done a lot of things to be intelligent? I've got a lot of books. I've read a lot of stuff. Like that's a wealth of something. Right, it's right. good for something. And so I think for me what I've come to the conclusion of is the more that I can, I can look at my own life and some of the things that I've done and some of the areas that I'm really good at, I can give up that whole thing that it's just about money. And in, and what I found really weird about that is it actually opened up my relationship with money to become something that's at ease. If because it, it didn't become all just about the money, it's like, well, right. no, I can I can actually be a really great person and have have a focus over here that gives me great uh, pleasure in my life, and it doesn't matter whether I have a dollar or not. Right. right. Tied to it. And that goes to the whole idea of, of mindset and abundance and um, just just being in the 
in the mindset that you have everything you need and that you live a life of abundance that doesn't have to do with dollars. Yes. Like I, I, I am training to become a unity minister. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> just throwing that out. You there. just needed <laughs> something else to do. I mean, you I seem just... like someone who was bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, why don't I go for a master's in divinity? Yeah, just because I find it. I'm starting a master's degree too, because I don't have enough to do. What is with us? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, What are you going? Uh, what psychology, are you studying? Psychology. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, so yeah. One of the things I one of the things I've really come to peace with is that you know I truly believe everything for me is taken care of. There's nothing that I need to worry about. It, life is my life is going to unfold. And, and uh, one of the things that really helped me is I heard this old saying, when you pray, move your feet. Mm. So, uh, and it comes from the Quakers, which are a very interesting uh, religious sect, by the way. They're fascinating, um, some of the studies I've done on, on the Quakers. But yeah, they have the saying, when you pray, move your feet. And, you know, you can look at all of our thoughts and thinking as prayers in a way. Like if we're ruminating on something, it's even if it's, if it's whether it's good or bad, it is some sort of prayer, if you take out the word prayer, you're, fo- you're really focusing on something. And because we can have, you know, our thoughts are do become things in our lives, the more yeah. we give something thinking, then the chances are it's, it's going to show up. So for me, when you pray, move your feet is all about getting myself in a position where what are the things I'm going to focus my, my mind on or my thinking? And then what do I need to do to get into action? Right. Because right. nothing's going to happen if I don't move my feet. Like I can sit on the sofa and think about starting mm-hmm. the next podcast or, you know, putting out that next great Instagram post that's going to change my life. I can <laughs> think about that. And if I don't actually do it, it's never going to change my right. life. That's so true. I mean, it's it's easy to say, you know, the power of the mind and the power of prayer, especially. I mean, I grew up in a Christian background and and I would see even as a young kid, I mean, I would see people praying and hoping and I'm like, but you also have to do something, <laughs> like, yeah. do something, you know, you can't just pray. And so I really love that. I really love that. And um, I, I try to tell my son every day because he wakes up and he goes, oh, I hate school. And I'm like, no, you love school. And he's like, I do not. And I'm like, well, you're going to school. So and I keep trying to tell him that if he'll just say it, even if you don't believe it, that eventually it will get better because it's, yep. he's going to school. There's the action. <laughs> Yes. So you might as well say you love it on the way. (laughs) I thought it was just daughters that said that. Oh, gosh. He's such a negative little Nelly. (laughs) I mean, my daughter, I mean, she doesn't love school either, but she's like, today I see my friends. I'm going to lunch, you know, and he's just like, you know, all gloom and doom. And so, but I was too, like, that's the kind of kid I was. And I learned um, later the power of those thoughts Um, as an adult. Unfortunately, it took me like, 35 years to figure that out um but now you know when you hear those negative thoughts just to push them down it's soup not to push down your feelings but to push down the garbage thoughts yeah it's uh, yeah there's a there's a definite um i actually i was doing i did a sermon yesterday at a uh, that's why i was in vancouver i was at another uh unity uh church doing a sermon and one of the things i talked about was what what I really love about the last, you know, six, seven years of my life is I've really learned some great tools that have allowed me to flip my thinking around quickly, like to get off of something, to, yeah. to you know, to really notice like, oh, uh, I know where this is going to go if I, right. keep, if I keep thinking this or keep, 
you know, hammering at this, this is only going to lead one way. How can I reframe this? What can I do right now to get myself out of this thought pattern and into something that's going to be far more constructive for me? And so Um, what do you do? Well, I guess it kind of depends on what it on, you know, what is troubling me, because obviously there's different degrees of panic that can come in in one's life. I'm going to be stuck off of my island forever in the snow. (laughs) Yeah. So so this happened last night. And so what I actually did was, you know, obviously I called my family and let them know the ferries are all canceled. And then I really just took three deep breaths and just thought like, hey, you know what? It's all great. Who knows, maybe something terrible could have happened to me if I was on one of those ferries. Mm-hmm. And so divine order is just in place. I'm with great people, uh, which I was at my friend's house. And I'll just enjoy the evening and get up tomorrow and make my way home. And I just talked myself off of a ledge of right. like somehow this was an awful situation because, you know, I needed to be home to talk to Meredith tomorrow. <laughs> and, it, you know, like all of I could have gone down that road of all the things that could potentially go wrong by me not getting home, which none of them are true because I'm not in those moments, or I can choose to focus on what's in front of me, which was, you know, I was at my friend Suki's and Kate's house. They're amazing people. We're going to have a great conversation tonight about living our best lives. And I'm going to have, and I have a roof over my head. I get to sleep in like, what could be worse? So that's what I just try to get myself present to, the place I am and understand that this is, uh, this is a perfect, if all, if this is all I have, this is great. That's nice. Yeah. I find that just trying to remind yourself what is true is also a calm, a calming mechanism because I think we get crazy when it's the predicting the future and expecting the worst kind of takes over. But when you're just saying what is true, you know, what is true about this moment? I'm alive. I have breath. I'm, I'm, you know, you said something about shelter and, you know, just, just kind of being present because all the worry tends to come from the past and the future. Yeah. That's well, those are, yes, we, we could do a whole series of shows on, (laughs) on the idea of, you know, how much does it serve me to think about the past or to try to predict the future? Because that's just an endless game of nothing. So true. So true. So let's talk about your, your uh, money principles. You have, you have five money principles. And I assume this is something that you probably talk about on your, on your new podcast, which is conscious cash, which I definitely want to talk about too, but let's, let's cover your money principles first. Okay. Where do you, which one do you want to start with? Let's go with money mirrors you. Yeah. So that, um, so I kind of have talked about that a little bit, but here's, uh, if you take that deeper, how you, you know, I have a friend of mine who said, said to me one day, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're constantly doing things at the last minute and you're not focused on, you know, what's actually going on in your life and being responsible, your money will tend to sort of be that way as well. And if you take that deeper, if you say to yourself, you know, it's really important to me that the world is, a, you know, is, is going to be around for a long time. So I want to support organizations that, um, uh, that help the world out or don't destroy the planet. I find that if you don't actually live that way with how you spend your money, there's a disconnect. So, mm. so, so for example, I, I believe in organic food, right? So 
I want, I want my daughters, I have 13 old twin daughters. I want them to have a great planet to come to, right. To live, to live the rest of their lives on. So my money needs to support exactly the way I'm thinking. And if it doesn't, what I've noticed is if, if I say this is one thing, but my money is going to a totally different thing than how I want to live my life, that is a disconnect with your energy. And you need to have your, you know, your money reflecting exactly who you say you are as a person. I love that. I love that. I actually had a conversation with my husband because I have a new book out and he's like, well, how is it doing? What are the sales? What is the money? What is?" And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really care about that so much as the opportunity. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I just want to be able to, you know, reach more people and, and talk to people and be on, on stages and have the opportunity to tell my story and to share the principles in the book. And he's like, okay, but that's money. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's opportunity. And so in the house now, anytime he goes to talk about money or I say, you know, we don't have the money for this, he goes, you mean the opportunities? <laughs> so he's just using the word opportunity as a synonym for money and it's driving me crazy. So the other day I, we've been on a very strict budget and I, I overpaid um, a bill and I overdrew our checking account. And so he went to the ATM to get money for lunch and it said insufficient funds. And so he sends me a text and he said, I just wanted to let you know that we're out of opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've, I'm done with you. But the funny thing is, you know, when you say money mirrors you, it is interesting to think like I when I think about money and, and what I want is opportunities, what I spend, what I want to spend my money on, you know, um, like I would like to pay to go on a book tour versus a vacation right now, because that, that kind of mirrors my values right now. Um, so anyway, that's just a funny story. <laughs> Opportunity. Yeah. yeah. It's money. Yeah. And so when I was, uh, here's another example of that. Cause I don't, I don't know if I did a great job explaining it, but here's, here's the essence of it. When I was a musician and I was touring and I was living on $5 a day, I used to say, I don't care about money. I'm just happy to be on the road, poor and broke. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I was on the road poor and broke. Right. And even though I might have been happy in that, it was a direct reflection of my own consciousness around money. Right. It was, you know, uh, money needs, loves to have a destination. And if it doesn't have one in somebody's life, it usually turns into chaos. Mm-hmm. Because it's energy. And it needs to know that it's got to flow. It's like, imagine water that when there's no riverbanks, it just, what does it do? It just goes everywhere as opposed to being channeled. And that's what I mean by that is if we focus our energy and channel our money and it begins to line up with everything we want, then it actually starts to do the work you want. Right, right. That makes sense. Speaking of flow, another one of your principles, cash flow is king. Yeah, well, so when I was convenient. Yes. When I was... uh, when I was very early in my business, I was um, uh, my uh, my dad used to say this thing: "You'll never go broke making a profit." Right, and that was and so I said this that I was in a chamber of commerce. I was on the board, and we had an accountant who was the vice president. And I said that one time at a board meeting: "Oh, you'll never go broke making a profit." And he's like, he's like, "Well, you know, actually, that's not true because <laughs> you may have a profitable business, but if you're if you're uh, 
people aren't paying their bills on time to you and the bank needs their payment and you don't have the cash flow, you could actually end up in bankruptcy because you don't have the funds to pay your debts, even though on paper you've had all of these sales and the money's going to be coming. So cash flow is like uber important. And I and I, that's when I got that. I was like, oh, yeah cash really is it's not really that cash is king it's cash flow is king you need to have a steady flow of cash that can come in and go out of your money accounts otherwise you could end up in a lot of trouble right and you could have no opportunity at the atm that's right there could be no opportunity <laughs> no opportunity when you go, when you go to the atm i love that <laughs> oh oh my goodness well let's talk about one more you are your most valuable asset i love this one yeah so for me that comes down to who you are and the work you do on yourself and making sure that you're taken care of and um you know i i often have this uh, discussion. I have a, a younger nephew or a nephew that's younger than me. And he, he has been one that has spent a lot of money investing in himself versus putting money into savings accounts at his early age. And he's actually, you know, sort of convinced me that, yeah, I get the idea of the return on, you know, early money into an investment account can do much better over the long run than if I start 15 years later. But a huge return on yourself can be made if you invest in yourself and educating yourself and doing the work that can turn your ideas or uh, support your zone of genius to get out in the world and do something. And that, that really can't be measured on a, right. on a financial level. That becomes a measurement on a whole life level. And so it, it just had me come to the point where I realized that the wealthiest clients I have, the people that I have worked with that have a great flow of um, relationships and money in their lives, they have done the work on themselves to be in a great state of mind. And so they understand how valuable their own essence is and how valuable it is for themselves to treat themselves well and to love themselves, really. Right. So what advice would you have for someone who is, quote, unquote, late to the game? So, you know, you're mid-40s, you've saved nothing. You're 55, you've saved nothing your money is a mess, like where besides after knowing your values and kind of having a a picture of where things are, what advice do you have for someone who feels like it's too late? Uh, This sounds like I need your psychology class. (laughs) Just don't say it's too late. (laughs) Exactly. Too late for what? I, you know, the first thing I thought of was when you said that was like, what too late for what? Yes. Like it's too, it's too late for what the, uh, did you have it in your head that there was an idea that when you were 65, you would retire with $8 million in the bank? Like, like it depends on what you're talking about. It's too late for, and then, and that comes down to, again, doing the work, even at that age, at the age of 40, doing the work of saying, what is important to me? And, you know, how do I want, you know, how do I define, um, success in my life is success the bank account or the size of the bank account or is success other things and and maybe i don't need all of that money for retirement maybe my retirement looks like really just having a you know a little a, a little place with a little piece of land in the back where i can garden every day like i don't need to travel the world so it's too late for what is it too late for that idea that somebody else put in 
your head about what your life is supposed to look like or is it too late for the life that you wanted for yourself? Right. That whole idea about expectation really being a problem because expectations, whatever, whenever we set, I mean, expectations aren't terrible, but when we set them and just, I don't know, I, I think it's kind of the quality of your expectations. Like you said, where did you, did you expect to have $8 million at 65? If you did and you don't and you're 55, that's, that's where the disconnect comes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things I've learned in my, in my ministerial studies is the idea of not being so attached to a certain outcome, mm. right? Like I no longer have this idea that my house, you know, my dream home one day needs to look exactly like this. And, you know, maybe I'm living in my dream home now, right? Like it, there's nothing it needs to look like. There's more of an essence of what I would like to have, you know. So for me, financial independence would be to the point where I never have to stop myself from doing something because I need to worry or I need to ask the question is, do I have enough money for that? Right, right. I love that. Well, let's talk real quick about your podcast, Conscious Cash. Sure. So what's up with that? <laughs> well, I, uh, so I have a, I have, I have a, a different show called the Bloom Living Podcast, and that is more that has always been more about uh, just speaking with amazing people who do amazing things, and and I can learn from them. So it's more like a um, uh, the ability to take from people what has worked for them, their successes, and apply it to any area of, of people's lives. And conscious cash is more about me owning my zone of genius, which is the flow of money. And so it's more it's more of just a show about me for, you know, anywhere for 10 to 15 minutes going on about an idea or a thought or a way that somebody can open up the world of cash flow to themselves or the world of money to themselves. So it's it's much more of a dive into principles and thinking and how um, energy, how we can set ourselves up and our thinking for success around cash flow. Very nice. And one more question for you, because this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do in our 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think really gives you the best return on your personal investment? Meditate. Okay. Every day? Every day. Every day. <laughs> There's actually two things I'll say. There's meditation slash prayer, and there's forty push-ups. Okay. <laughs> do that? Do you meditate and then do the push-ups? No, the push-ups are the first thing I do every single morning. Okay. As soon as I get out of bed, that's like I have a little drill sergeant in my head that says, "Give me forty, shooter." My nickname is Shooter, so give me forty, shooter now. And I <laughs> hit the ground and I do forty push-ups. I love that. And then you meditate. And then I and then I go off and I yeah and then I set myself up to uh, to do meditation. So today for my push-ups and I track this stuff. Today for my push-ups was day one thousand two hundred and thirteen in a row. Wow, that's awesome. And do you intend on like increasing that number? It's always forty. It's all you know what I the this is where it came from. Have you uh, read that book Habits? Yes. Okay, so you know there's Keystone Habits. Uh huh. Where this came from was I thought one day, you know, when I get to 85, I think it would be great if I could do 40 push-ups. Mm. And then I thought, well, how could I ensure that that could happen? And then I thought, well, why don't I just start now just doing 40 every day? And that way 
I'll be able to do them. <laughs> like it'll just that's be awesome. something something I do every day. So I that's like that. that's what I decided. But you know what's really great about that is it became it became a keystone habit. So what you know, like within a month, you know, I was looking in the mirror and I thought, hey, my arms are starting to look like they were when I was a rock drummer. This is great. <laughs> you know, this like there was a change. And then about six weeks into it, my wife looks at me one day. I didn't have my shirt on, and she's like dude, you're looking pretty good these days. What's going on? And so that triggered for me. It was like, oh, if 40 push-ups a day, like that takes me a minute and a half to do 40 push-ups. If that has that kind of change, what else could I do? Right. Then I started to focus on my eating a little more. Then I started to run occasionally and go on bigger hikes. Like that little habit of doing that, the change I saw then opened up what else could I do? And I would say that meditation then opened up and that's today was day 622 in a row of meditating. So those little, those things are how I start my day every day so that no matter what happens, like the ferry not coming on time, I've already won the first part of my day because I have things that I set up to win. Thomas, this was great. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Meredith. You have an amazing day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.